Hey there, star babies. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Yes, because we can't make sense of anything. We can barely make sense of ourselves. That is truth. Can't make sense of my life. We certainly can't make sense of the rest of our day. We can barely make sense of the birds (laughs) that have just been born outside our front door. Yes, we have two baby bird nests um, that have been nestled into the uh, crevices, the eaves of our our carport. carport. Yes. Um, And I'm... I was actually about to say borderline obsessing, but I'm just plain old obsessing over them. Angel and I just like stand at the window and just like watch watch what's happening. It's, I mean, it's beautiful and fascinating. I know it is fascinating, but we're obviously completely unable to make sense of it because like a a bird came by to the nest and we were like, is that bird like going to eat the babies? I'm like, is that the mama bird? Is that the, who's that? And Angel was like, should I go outside and like scare it away? And then all of a sudden that bird like started feeding the damn babies. Yeah. So we're we're just trying to like take a hands-off approach here. I mean, look, there's a bunch of birds there. It's hard to tell them all apart. I mean, there's at least five babies, three in one nest and then two in the other nest, but there could I be know. more. We're just rooting for them. An angel put like old fitted sheets folded up <laughs> on the concrete <laughs> underneath the nest. Because why? Because if they like fell when trying to fly... Yeah, I just want them to have a safe landing. I want to give them a, another sh- shot. I mean, that's one of the most endearing things you've ever done. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so sweet. It also means that I am spending way too much time in my home and probably need to get out a little more. Yeah, we're definitely going a little stir crazy. But tell the people who you are. Ah, yes. Uh, I am Brandon Alter. I am a spiritual healer. I am a tarot reader and an astrologer and a teacher. And I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a producer and a astrologer and teacher as well. I was uh, speaking with my new therapist because I have a new therapist now. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him the story of when I was down in San Diego at the hospital and one of the doctors asked what I did And I said to my therapist, I was like, and you know how I introduced myself? I said, oh, my husband and I, we have a business where we teach online classes. Right. That's literally how I introduced what it is that I do. And And I was just like, and what? No, he did not ask. He was just like, oh, okay. And like, that was it. And because like, I just didn't want to get into it, you know, which Mm -hmm. is not that I'm like, I introduce myself as like a spiritual healer and a tarot or an astrologer, like all the time for the most part. But there are certain situations where... I do still struggle a little bit, not because I'm afraid of their judgment per se, but because I just like don't want to open up something in that moment, you know? Yeah, of course. But I don't know. It was an interesting moment to kind of reflect back on because I was realizing that it wasn't a lie. I mean, it's true. We do own a business where we teach online classes. But for all I know, that doctor could have like opened up about something because I had opened up about something and there could have been a connection. So anyway, I just thought of that as I was introducing myself, right? Yeah. You know, I've been taking this Spanish class and in the Spanish class, we had to do a whole 
week about work and what we do for a living. And, you know, we have all these small group discussion sessions. So it was like so interesting to have to like answer all these questions and have conversation about like, you know, being an astrologer, you know, in Spanish. I mean, my, my group leader was like so into it. Like she got so excited and was like, oh my gosh. I mean, of course, people are very excited about astrology. Yeah. But I think there are still some people who are like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And obviously, too, our lives like extend far beyond like just astrology or tarot. Totally. Um, you know, I was like actually just pondering like um, just like the reality show version of our life, you know, and just like all of the fucking witchy mystical spirit based things that we do on a daily basis that would potentially seem interesting to other people <laughs> yeah it's so funny because it's like so second nature to, i know to me at this point that i don't even know like what is like what is a weird witchy thing that we do that you think people would be like what the fuck are they doing that we just like take for granted um well i don't know if I, even just like the work we did around the full moon, you know, that we're like leaving offerings for spirits and like taking yeah. crystals outside. And... <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people have gotten to a point where some sort of full or new moon ritual is like slightly more normalized. But yeah, I think we may take it to a different extent than most people would understand or know. And I just find it amusing. Well, is it time? Should we be pursuing the spiritual gaze reality show? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, instead of the simple life, it's just the spiritual life. I love that. <laughs> um, I don't know. But uh, I do think it's funny, obviously with all the great folks out there, all of you who listen and engage with us and things, um, you know, our classes or workshops or what have you. I'm sure you all could relate in some way that you have practices that you may take part in or ideologies and uh, that may seem potentially odd to people around you. And that's, I think, the challenge of living uh, a spirit-based life, right? Is that not everyone is going to understand it and... I think that's why I love having conversations with people on this show because I'm always most curious about like that internal dialogue that one has with themselves of the acceptance, right? And as queer people, it's like we have to deal with that on one level, but then the spiritual or mystical side is like a whole other thing. Well, and also like in a very real way, in some parts of the world, even today, and even in this part of the world, within the last like 100 or 200 years, like you could be put in grave danger for practicing an unorthodox spirituality. Right. Right. Like if somebody caught you working with like fucking crystals or cards, like you're a witch and you're going to be ostracized or targeted or who knows what. I know, which I know happened to me in many past lives, or at least a few. And um, yeah, we did do some offering work uh, earlier in the week, and I actually like had this like slight panic about it because I was like, "Oh, what if someone sees it and thinks it's 
witchcraft witchcraft or something like i was like oh which it, which it was yes but <laughs> i was like what if they like come to the door and they're like what are you doing or like what if fucking on night a picture like pops up on next door and they're like we got witches like i literally had that and i was like whoa is this some past that life shit wild of yes because i did not have any of those thoughts well maybe you weren't burnt at the stake in past lives. i don't think i was i think i, I was know. probably killed by other witches Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Some like dark witches. Oh, oh goodness. I know. All this to say. All this to say. We're in this together, peeps. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever level you're playing at or practicing at. But come out, come out wherever you are, honestly, because I think the more we all come out with it and the more we don't hide it, the more normalized it becomes. Yeah. And the less I think we judge other people's spiritual practices because we feel empowered to follow our own, you know? Mm-hmm. I know. I'm really grateful for my spiritual life. It's really saving me in all of this. It's all I have. <laughs> it's literally all I have right now. I feel you. Should we check in? I feel like we've been checking in, honestly. Yeah, so but do you have anything have to... you want to bring up? Is there anything I want to bring up? No, she's looking at me like very directly as if he's like telling me i'm supposed to bring something up i think he's just curious he wants to know what's on your mind oh that's nice well i mean i have a new therapist which is actually very exciting uh because he's very smart and i forgot how impactful and reorganizing like good therapy can be not that my old therapist wasn't a great therapist obviously it just went in a different direction and it became more like spiritual mentorship at a certain point. And I just like need some fucking therapy right now. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like, you know, I've lot, I keep saying 18 months, but I really have no idea how many months into this new world that we are. And I'm just really feeling some fatigue around it. Like I'm fatigued by COVID. I'm fatigued by like kind of being stuck in the house. I'm fatigued by, all of the extra steps, even if they're just mental steps about like, is it safe to do this? Should I do this? You know, everything just is so much more complicated than it ever used to be. And I just find myself exhausted by all of that. And and everything does feel so much more serious and everything feels like so much more work. And I wish I could just like throw it all to the wind, but I'm an air sign. And so I just like can't do that. You know, I just can't be as reckless as maybe I want to be. And I'm just like fatigued by it all. I'm like fatigued by myself, honestly, <laughs> like fatigued by myself. Yeah. What, what do you mean? I just like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just hanging out with myself all the time. <laughs> like right. I miss, I'm like, and I love you and I love Noche, but like I miss other people. Yeah. Like I miss other places. Yeah. You're an Aquarius. Exactly. And it's hard to, be so measured about it. Like I miss groups, you know, like I miss hangs, you know, I miss trips. Well, we have a trip coming up. I know, but it hasn't happened yet. So I'm still <laughs> fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, babe? What's, what's happening with you? With me right now, I am just trying to, combat and or break any habits that keep me from presence 
I had some like exciting news, for example, around this writing project that I've been working on. And in the moment of receiving the news, I was just kind of like, huh, that's weird. Like I didn't immediately go into like excited mode, you know, or happy mode. Like I couldn't like entirely celebrate it in the moment. It just felt either too good to be true or it triggered other like stressful thoughts. And instead of just kind of sitting in that and kind of following that path, I was able to like stop myself and be like, huh, okay, let's bookmark this emotional response and come back to it. And, and then I was able to slide into some good feelings around it, but it's just things like that, that I'm really trying to kick through, like kick through, like having people give me good feedback and really like feeling that. Yeah. I think that's very human though, to like, whatever it is about the human brain, like we remember the insults and the critiques much more than we'd remember like the compliments and the kindness paid. At least that's my experience. And I feel like that's a pretty common experience that we like let the bad hit us and hurt us. And we have trouble letting the good in, in the same way. Oh, for sure. Right. Like I think about just like all of the insults that I received as like a chubby queer kid and like, I can still remember some of them and I can only remember like one compliment I like ever received like in college from like an acting teacher. Like that's literally the only compliment I can remember. But I like could tell you a whole bunch of like negative things people have said about me. Yeah, no, I think I could too. I think I'm just now at a place where I don't want to um, continue in that type of mental space. No, for sure. Know? I'm not saying like, just keep doing it. Like, <laughs> Just the way it is. I'm just saying I think that you should be gentle with yourself because oh, yeah. this is a pretty common human thing. Oh, for sure. And I think I have been uh, becoming aware of it over time. Um, but I think I'm just like getting closer and closer to the moment of occurrence as opposed to like, going down the hole of it and then like having to backtrack, yeah, you know, two days worth of like mental rubble, you know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to like sensing it in that moment. Yeah. But I've just been like super hyper aware of myself and that's been like my whole thing, you know, obviously like I've been set talking a ton on here just and in my life about like authenticity, right? Like, trying to get to that authentic point in my identity, you know, seeing the astrology and I'm just like, okay, this Saturn Uranus business, it's, it's targeting us, right? Like I, I always try to just lean into it in my life. Like, all right, how do I push through this lesson that's trying to, to happen? Um, and, um, so really trying to dig into like, who the fuck am I at like my authentic core and how do I express that out into the world? And 
So I've even like with my therapist and acupuncturist and masseuse and whoever the fuck I'm working with, like, you know, um, you're like fucking Jennifer Coolidge in the white I know, Lotus. Right? <laughs> oh my God. I am Jennifer Coolidge in the white Lotus. I'm all, do you want to have dinner with me? <laughs> um, but seriously, like anyone I can like have that conversation with about just like authenticity and like, and a lot about like persona and just like what kind of persona I project and being aware of that, you know, that we all on some level have persona and different personas that we bring to different situations. And I think I'm always boiling down authenticity to like, I just want to show up as me in every space at all times, but knowing that that's like incredibly difficult to do and that you can't really beat yourself up for it. Um, but at the same time, wanting to make sure that I don't have like you know, a podcast voice or like, you know, a, a work voice, a teaching voice, you know, just like all of these things I'm like just paying attention to and really trying hard to just kind of like, I don't even want to say trying, just, just sensing, being aware of and just saying, why do I need to put that on? What's, what's the need? What's the insecurity underneath that? What am I trying? What am I trying to do? So... So yeah, you know, just some light identity breakdowns going on, but in good ways. I'm feeling really intrigued and interested and hopeful. Yeah. I mean, they're complex questions that you're asking because as we talk about, like identity isn't a fixed point. So like bringing yourself to every situation doesn't always look the same because you're not always the same, you know? Right. And also I think certain situations pull different aspects of us out. So even though like, yeah, it's good probably not to have like a podcast voice or a teacher voice per se, who you are when you step into the role of teacher is different than who you are when you're like stepping into the role of friend. Right. And I think that's actually good to some degree. Yeah. You know, to acknowledge what is being asked of you in certain situations and letting yourself shift to, to meet that invitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And accepting that that is just part of how we express as humans in relationship with each other. Yeah. Look, my North Node's in Libra. This whole like one-on-one -on -one relationship, how do we relate? It's new territory for me. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, my North Node is in Taurus, which is why, as you say to me, like you are, what do you say? You're like the least relaxed, relaxing person I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. How did you say that, though? It was so funny. Know, it was something along those lines. You're like, what's all this relaxing without any relaxing or something? <laughs> oh, because I was comparing it to right. She by Sheree. She by Sheree, like... From the Real Housewives of Atlanta, when there was like a fashion show with no fashion. Yeah, and you were like, what's all this relaxing without relaxing? <laughs> I know. I'm like the most tense, relaxed person. Yeah, seriously. I'm learning. Yeah. yeah, yeah Let's yeah. move on, shall we? There's so much to. There's so much to get to. We're doing a deep dive today. We have to get a little segment in there. We do. I also just want to mention to the gazers that we're getting ready to kind of like relaunch our fall semester of oh classes. My gosh, totally. And we're actually adding a class because this five-week course, Spirit Worlds, that we taught was so fucking amazing. Yeah, it was dope. That we kind of felt like we just like need to keep going with it. So we're going to do another five weeks and it's actually going to start in like a month because we just want to capitalize on the momentum of the group. We're calling it Spirit Powers, but we're opening it up so that if you had wanted to take that course and it didn't work for you, 
you can kind of slide in and you won't be behind because we're going to do some different practices mm -hmm. and they'll just be, you know, some sort of like primer situation, whether that's like a journey circle or even like a little bonus that we'll do for newbies, just so like everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really excited about that and we're just going to do it. Yeah. And then we've got Tarot Cosmos, which is going to start on September 2nd. Oh my gosh. So and I exciting. miss this course because we haven't taught it for like almost a year, right? Gosh, really? Yeah. We didn't teach it in the spring? No, we taught it last like fall. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is the course that started it all, honestly. Yeah. So if you've ever wanted to learn the tarot and the thing about our courses not to like toot our own horn here but like we teach them live y'all like mm -hmm. you can go and find a bunch of courses that are pre-recorded and they're great and i'm not throwing shade at that but what we do that's different is that you can engage with us in real time and we have curriculums but we tailor our courses based on the energy in the group and based on your questions so we would just love to see you there and if you feel compelled think about joining us for tarot cosmos and then lastly, we're going to do an advanced astrology course, more like intermediate, not advanced, but yeah. it's like the next level astrology course. Yeah, it's a continuation of our um, initial uh, astrology course. We haven't, uh, the title is still pending. We're, we're trying on Cosmic Kiki. Yes. But Angel's are. not sold on no. that. No. <laughs> but we are, we're, we're sliding into it. We're sliding into it. And that'll happen in, that'll November. Start in like November or something. Yeah. 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 So that's still some time from now, but that's going to be a, a seven week course. And we have our logo oh, and yeah. we're going to be doing a logo reveal very soon. She's coming. We're very excited. Uh, and we're going to do a live show. Oh yeah. Which is going to happen. So we're going to do a live podcast. Yeah. And a virtual live podcast. A virtual live podcast. I realize that we've actually never used the word virtual when we talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to like host it in our yard. No. <laughs> yeah, no. 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 It's going to be virtual. It's going to be via Zoom. Because yes, I know. And I know we're all sick of Zoom. I know. But, you know, we're going to really try to make it fun. And I realized we did this Aquarius happy hour earlier this year. Yeah. Which was so fun. Was it and a lot of people came to. And... Um, it was just a really great opportunity to like do fun things, interact with folks. Um, and we really wanted to do that, but we were like, well, let's just do it as a show. Yes. So, so. it's going to be around the Leo new moon and just watch the Instagram and the newsletter and you will find out all the information you need so that you can be a part of the live virtual podcast. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's been three years now. We got to shake it up. Shake it up. Shake and, it up. Yeah. So, so yes, all of that business is coming. But, um, all right, well, yeah, as you, Brandon mentioned, we're going to do a deep dive into some tarot biz, but yes. before then... Before our deep dive into the gate cards of the tarot... Should we have ourselves a little... Cosmic, cosmic Oh my god, that was really good. Was it? That sounded like the opening of like an MGM movie. <laughs> okay, I think you're overselling. No, I think it was really good. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, well, it's Leo season. You have a feline essence to you. Do I? Yeah, you have a feline essence. I've never heard that before. Really? Yes, mm. you're very cat-like. Interesting. Why? Because I like to perch in windowsills? You do like to perch in windowsills. 
I like to play with balls. You like to play with balls. You're kind of shady, like a cat is shady. Okay, that one I'll receive. You're self-sufficient the way a cat is self-sufficient. And you're also kind of like hot and cold the way a cat can be like hot and cold. Like sometimes you're very affectionate and you like cuddle up and I'm Mm. like, who is this? And then sometimes you're like, do the sound again. (laughs) Exactly. You're like a cat. (laughs) You're like, that's good. (laughs) Like I'm like clearing my throat. Yeah. I used to love to do a cat hiss. That's good. See, sometimes you're like that. I love a cat hiss. And sometimes you're like, meow. (laughs) (laughs) So what we were engaging in there was, you know, a little play, a little creativity. Because it's Leo season. It's Leo season. Yes, season of the sun. Season of being dramatic. Season of light. Season of making it all about yourself. Yes. But in a good way. In a good way. In a healthy way. Well, ideally. Yeah. Right? Because if you can make it about yourself in a way that shines your light out forth for others, then hopefully in turn, they will want to do the same for themselves. Totally. Which then affects others. It's, you know, like a lovely little, you know, domino effect of spreading light. But yeah, if you're doing it in a like heavily ego-driven way, then you're just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then you're like a black hole sun. Right. Just sucking the energy out of the room. Yeah. Like Shannon Bador. <laughs> so don't be Shannon Bador, who's actually an Aries, not a Leo. But I know, but I'm still, just saying. Very can... good example Thank of a black you. hole sun. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Shans. Sorry, Shans. Do better. Sorry, Storms. Um, but anyhow, yeah, the idea is to use this time to really uh, illuminate whatever area of life uh, Leo is in, uh, affects in your chart. But ultimately, it is just like dialing it into like shining your light out into the world. And, you know, we were talking a lot about authenticity and that your authentic nature and the polar opposite sign of Leo is Aquarius. So they feed each other. And Aquarius is all about your authentic nature, your uniqueness, your originality. So harnessing that and then using it to, you know, using the Leo sun to shine it forward, I think that's the goal. Yeah. Well, I think Aquarius is the constellation and Leo is the star in the constellation. And so Aquarius helps us by having a bigger picture view of like, what is our authentic piece of this? Like you can't be every star in the constellation, but good to understand for yourself, like what is my authentic contribution? And to really lean into that. Mm -hmm. And I think Leo season, because it does answer to the sun, Mm -hmm. means that this is a season for each and every one of us to understand through our own natal sun placement, like what is the unique light that we shine, you know? So it is a season to really double down on your sun sign so that you can understand it more deeply. Because if you're a Scorpio sun, then the type of light that you shine is very different than if you're an Aries sun or a Libra sun. Right. And so over the next couple of weeks, you want to look at the house in your chart that Leo occupies for sure, because that's happening. Because the sun right now is moving through that house, illuminating things. Mm-hmm. But you also want to pay attention to your natal sun and what that unique energy is and to make sure that you're really expressing it. Which makes sense that like your Aries sun is exploring all of these issues of authenticity, identity, and like how to be yourself because that's Aries, you know? In some ways, Aries is kind of like the gives no fucks sign of the Zodiac, you know? Oh, yeah. And you give a lot of fucks. 
So you're learning how to give less. Right. Well, it's interesting because I give a lot, but I also give none too. Do you? <laughs> I mean, I think I do. Do you? You know, it's funny. I, I find that I used to give less fucks back in the day mm -hmm. and I would accomplish more. And now I've become much more. And I think by moving toward my North node, that Libra conscious, I become more conscious of other people, mm -hmm. which then translates to me giving more fucks. Yeah. But I feel the pendulum, my, the pendulum is swinging back now. Yeah. But that's the hard thing about like having a sun sign in the same, or you're having your sun in the same sign as your South node. Cause it's like, here I am shining my light, but I'm also supposed to not have some of this energy. It's very, very challenging. Yeah. You should start a support group for sun, South node, same sign people. Yeah. It's just a little weird. Yeah. That sounds hard. <laughs> Doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> Because it's a balance. Totally. You know, which then is why I guess the Libra is so important. Well, yeah. And like Libra, even though it's the sign of relationship, doesn't mean it's always about the other. Sometimes it is about you and understanding when that time is. Yeah. And being a leader within a partnership. Yeah. So anyhow, Leo season, making it about um, us. Enough about us. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your no North Node? How's it treating you? Let us know. <laughs> um, but, you know, beyond the sun moving into Leo, there are a few things uh, that are going on in the short term, uh, at least right when this episode is coming out. And I think the big thing is, well, we'll just have had Mercury move into Leo. Mm -hmm. So that's going to just amplify some of this Leo sun energy, Mercury being all about communication, our thoughts, our ideas. So we can really start to connect some of our thoughts and ideas to the expression that we want to put out into the world, any creative projects, um, you know, just things around like joy, play, fun. Our mind can start to, you know, get wrapped around those things a little more, I think. Okay, so Mercury's in Leo, Sun is in Leo, but then there's another big shift, which is Jupiter. Yeah, this week, um, it'll already have happened when this comes out, but uh, we'll have had Jupiter shifting back into Aquarius. Yeah, to tie up some loose ends and give us all a softer Aquarius landing. Yeah, and it hasn't been there since May 12th. So we've had this sneak preview, you know, early half of summer. Yeah. Um, in to what Jupiter's transit through Pisces is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So there were whatever stuff came up between May and, you know, this first half of July. Yeah. Uh, Around themes of like expansion, mm -hmm. growth, overdoing it, you know, like that'll come back up for you in January when Jupiter moves back into Pisces. Yeah. And I also think like just around like even just like soulful path callings, you know, like soulful path, callings? soulful paths, callings. Oh, that's soulful like paths, my, callings. That's oh like God. a, that's like my radio call in show yeah. where I'm just like soulful paths, calling. Hi guys. Welcome to soulful Angel. path callings with Angel Lopez. Hi caller. Tell me what is your soulful path? Well, I'm having trouble. Because there's a fork in the road and... Mm -hmm. Well, I, pick it up. 
pick up the fork? Yeah, so you don't pop your tire <laughs> when you drive. I don't think thank you, you for call. Thank you for calling. Next caller. <laughs> Hi, you're on. <laughs> Hi. Um. So Jupiter's now back in Aquarius, guys, which is where it was those first five months, f- almost five months of the year. So we're kind of heading back into some of those waters. Things that we had going then are going to want to come back around. And they uh, haven't been finished yet. You know, I think you said like unfinished business, right? So we now have the rest of this year to really dig back into what Jupiter's transit through Aquarius was trying to grow for us. You know, it's like, okay, we started this, but then we shifted gears a little bit, or we tried to take it out into the world in a bigger way, but now we got to go back, you know, do some refining, figure some shit out. New strategies. Yeah, making sure that we're dealing with, like, the right groups of people, too, you know, like, because it's an Aquarius, it's like, all right, are we thinking about the big picture? Are we, you know, you you had you went into it with a big picture vision, but then maybe you kind of got a little lost in the Pisces of it all. So now it's like, let's go back and plug back into that big picture vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Aquarius rules dreams too. So it's like making sure you're actually pursuing the right dream. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think, too. It also, for the last couple of months with Jupiter and Pisces, Saturn has been kind of alone in Aquarius. And so that's a little bit of a bleaker Aquarian landscape with just like... Saturn alone in his like Aquarius kingdom, you know, it's like the ice king in an adventure time. Mm, Right. But like mm -hmm. without Gunther, just like alone in the ice kingdom. And then Jupiter comes back in and all of a sudden like things brighten again, you know, like Jupiter in Aquarius with Saturn, I think softens Saturn. I think gives Saturn a little bit more optimism kind of Mm -hmm. helps us with those Aquarius themes like humanity and the collective. And so I have noticed that like even my own personal view towards just like people ever since Jupiter left Aquarius has been a lot harsher. I'm like, Oh, people. But I think (laughs) Jupiter moving back into Aquarius will help us, you know, redefine how we're looking at some of these Aquarius themes and maybe plant some optimism that will last even when Jupiter leaves, Mm, you know? I like that, yeah. And we have this full moon in Aquarius, which is the second full moon in Aquarius that happens basically conjunct Jupiter. The full moon's at 29 degrees and Jupiter will be at 26 degrees. And I think that full moon... In August? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think like that's going to be a really important illumination and and an understanding of what Jupiter was really in Aquarius for. So we may not understand it until we get there, but that I think is like what we're building towards. Yeah. yeah and then soon after right. that, Jupiter stations direct and starts to move back over that terrain. And so then like once Jupiter's moving direct and Saturn's moving direct, we're like, okay, now we really understand how we're going to get out of the weeds that we're in. Yeah. By like October, we're really like we're cruising, moving forward. Again. We're totally cruising, yeah. yeah. But I think like we tried to escape, and then like the octopus like reached out its like tentacle and like slowly pulled us back. And now we like have to get pulled back into the belly of the beast to understand what it is that like we're actually like we just we tried to. I think we tried to escape too soon, honestly. It's like we tried to leave the party, and then like oh god, a friend showed up and was like, "Wait, where are you going?" And it's like. Wait, I have to talk to you. Like, oh my god! Just I come know. and have one more drink, and you're like, mm. and then three hours later, exactly. That's exactly what happened. That's much better than an octopus <laughs> who's dragged you back into his watery lair. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, that shows where we're at. <laughs> You're Jupiter and I'm Saturn, babes. Always and forever. No shit. <laughs> it's a hard place to be. So a helpful aspect to all of this is that Mars will also be shifting into Virgo. Um, again, right as this has come out on the is that, 29th. Is that helpful? Well, I think it's helpful because it's focusing. You're right. You know, it's like, all right, y'all, let's like actually get some things done. You know, let's organize, let's plan. Yeah, it's like a Leo activates Mars and then Virgo organizes and directs it. Yeah. Yeah, it helps to focus it some, you know. I mean, of course, it can get nitpicky and critical. Yeah, and you can struggle to take action because you feel like if you can't take perfect action, you shouldn't. But that's actually incorrect. Like, take the action, and then you can always refine it. Yeah, but I think if anything, like, some of this shift just, like, really helps us to kind of, like, pay attention to, like, not only like what it is we're actually trying to make happen or do or focus our energy on, but also like having to be aware of our intended audience for everything, right? Oh, that's a good, that's interesting. You know, like who's it for? What's it for? And how do we remember that we're not just doing this for ourselves, but we're also like doing these things for the greater good with other people in mind you know and i think if you can approach things from that perspective you're probably setting yourself up for some greater success you know so it is about you but it's not only about you that's really that's really the leo challenge there yeah but i think if you can meet it then you can find some really great progress and forward movement this season. So go for it, babes. Shine your light. I want to see it. Tag me. <laughs> yeah. We want to see it. Yeah. Show me all your Leo photos. Show me your Leo. Show us your Leo. All right. Should we get into um, a deep dive? Yeah, I think we should. I mean, there's obviously like so much more astrology we could talk about, but... That's what the Astro Clubs are for, honestly, where we just like talk your whole face off about astrology. And we just <laughs> want to give you a little taste here because there's a lot of other stuff that, that we want to talk about. Yeah. So um, let's transition right. into this episode's Deep, Deep Dive. So we wanted to do a tarot episode because it's been a minute and also because as we're preparing to teach our upcoming course, we're just like getting steeped in the tarot and want to share some of that excitement with y'all. And there is a particular category of cards that aren't often talked about and they're called gate cards. And gate cards refer to nine very specific cards in the minor arcana. And there's one wand, two cups, two swords, and four pentacles that are considered gate cards. So we're going to talk about these cards individually. We're going to talk about them as a whole story because these nine cards kind of represent a journey. 
an archetypal journey that one takes. So we know that the major arcana, those 22 cards, is like the fool's journey. But this is another type of journey that's really, I think, about vision and new beginnings. It's a journey about transitions. And it's actually, as I was kind of like diving into the gate cards, a really great narrative that I think speaks to a lot of like what we've all been going through collectively. Oh, really? Yeah. How so? Well, I think you'll see as we talk about the gate cards that it starts with the three of wands, which is all about calling in a new vision. And that's what we've all had to do ever since COVID, ever since the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, ever since our world as we knew it kind of fell in on itself. We've really been called to seek a new vision. And that's where this all begins with the Three of Wands. And it ends with the Ace of Pentacles, which is this new seed that we have to plant, this new ripe beginning. And I don't entirely think any single one of us are really there yet. I think we're still maybe halfway through. But before I talk about the card specifically, I just like want to back up for a second and just talk about what are gate cards, yeah. where did they come from, who decided. What are gate cards, honey? Okay, so... When you're giving a reading, you're looking at cards, and you know what the cards mean, because you've studied the cards, right. or you have your own particular way of interpreting. And so that's a really great way to engage with the tarot, you know, pulling cards, understanding meanings, that's divination. But the gate cards are a little different. And what they literally are, are portals. And by meditating on the card, by looking at them, by almost picturing yourself in the scene, they open up into a meaning that goes beyond just what we attribute the significations of the cards to be. And it was Rachel Pollock, whom you know we're obsessed with here at the Spiritual Gaze Headquarters, who came up with this concept. And so I am going to quote her because it's just better to quote her sometimes than to paraphrase her. She says, I call these cards gates because of the way in which they open a path from the ordinary world to the inner level of archetypal experiences. They all share certain characteristics, complex, often contradictory meanings, and a myth-like strangeness, which no allegorical interpretation can completely penetrate. So these nine cards that, as Rachel says, open up a path from the ordinary world to the inner level of archetypal experiences. They're a gateway. That's why they're called gate cards. They are pulled specifically from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're working primarily with these nine cards as painted by Pamela Coleman-Smith. Got it. And the gate is really about the image that she gave to us. So other decks that you work with might have different gate cards, meaning that something in the image pulls you in. And the truth is any card could be a gate card for anybody. But I think that working with Rachel's deep intuition and understanding of the tarot and working with Pamela Coleman-Smith, incredible intuitive imagery, brings us these nine cards that deserve a deeper look. Okay, that's interesting. And so that's kind of what we're going to do. All right. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well? Yeah, I think so. And I feel like if anyone has their own copy of the writer... White deck, you can really like pull it out. And yeah, pull them out. And and they form a pathway. So you can look at any one of these nine cards and be like, okay, I'm like going to enter into the gate. But they also are linking gates that connect. So you would go through the three of wands to the eight of cups to the five of cups to the eight of swords to the six of swords to the ten of pentacles 
to the six of pentacles, to the five of pentacles, to the ace of pentacles. And that's vision to new beginnings. But you could also take it in the inverse, and you could start with the ace of pentacles, where you have a new beginning, and then you end up with the new vision. But we're just going to take it in that first direction, because we only have so much time. And it's easier to talk about if you can look at the cards, but I'm going to talk to you about what the images of the cards are so that you have a deeper understanding here. And I also think it's interesting to point out that there are some decks that actually aren't this deck, but are deeply influenced by the art. Mm -hmm. So you may find that you have a deck that isn't the Rider Waite, but the imagery is incredibly similar. Yeah, for sure. Like the deck I use, the Oliver Hibbert Tarot. Right, right. It's the same structure. And so those cards also work as gate cards, but with like a totally different deck, like the Wild Unknown, you know, for example, you might find that there are other cards in there that are so striking to you that kind of like suck you in, in a way that may not be these particular nine cards. And you might find that they are a gate and that you are able to enter into them and have an experience inside the dimension of the tarot that isn't just a kind of flat regurgitation of what the card means. Right. You All know? right, cool. We'll take us on the journey. Okay. So the Three of Wands is a figure. We're looking at the figure from behind, and the figure is gazing off into like a huge expanse. And what we see there is mostly sky and a little bit of water. And it's a very solitary figure. So here we are at the beginning of a journey. We're alone, and we're looking out over possibility. And when we take ourselves into this card, all of a sudden we understand the expanse of space around us. And this is where that journey begins, with a kind of overwhelming sense of the unknown, and simultaneously an overwhelming sense of possibility. And we are alone to some degree. There are ships in the distance, we see that there are other people, and yet we are solitary. And perhaps we are going to channel a vision for the collective, but at this moment, we are all alone. And I'm just thinking about COVID. I'm just thinking about our own experiences. You know, some people were literally isolated, but you and I were isolated together and yet still had our own very separate experiences, are still having our own very separate experiences. And so the Three of Wands opens up our capacity for vision. It, it challenges us to create in the blank space, in the unknown where we want to go. The Three of Wands, even though it's a three, is in some ways a new beginning. And it starts us on this journey, which then leads us to the Eight of Cups. So before I keep going on the journey, I want to just talk about a few more organizing principles of these nine cards, which is that there are nine, first and foremost. And nine is a pretty sacred number. It is a sense of completion, right? Because it's the last single digit number before you get to 10. And then that kind of starts something all over again. And what I like about nine is that it also divides really nicely into three. And so what we can also think of is that this journey has three separate chapters. In the same way that when we teach the Major Arcana, we talk about the three lines of the Major Arcana, the lifeline, the death line, and the rebirth line. I think we could also implement that here. That these first three cards are us committing to our life more deeply. The second three cards are the necessary death that has to happen to free us to move forwards. And the last line is that rebirth. And just interestingly to note that 
there was a method to Rachel's madness here in selecting these cards, not just through what compelled her, but how she organized them, because we go from wands to pentacles. We go from the most spiritual and esoteric to the most literal and physical. And we're also going in numerical order through the suits. So it's like there's only one wand, so that's where we start. And then we have two cups, so we go eight, five. We're going in descending order. Um, and, you know, from wands, the spiritual, we move to cups, the emotional. Then we move to swords. We have the eight of swords and the six of swords, again, descending order, the mental. And then we have the ten, the six, the five, and the one of pentacles. Just interesting how they're organized in, in a very specific way. So from the Three of Wands, which is us kind of wrestling with the unknown and calling forth a new vision and deciding, like, where are we going to set forth next, we move to the Eight of Cups, which shows us walking away from where we've been. So this is the beginning of a journey. And in order to begin a journey, you have to walk away from the one that you've been on. You have to walk away from your old haunts and your old relationships, and your old tricks, and your old comforts. And in some ways, you have to now explore that desert wasteland that in the Three of Wands you were just gazing out over. Well, I walked away from all my old tricks a long time ago. Well, I would hope so. And what we also see in this card is a potential eclipse, right? It's the sun and the moon together, and it almost seems like the sun is moving over the moon, or the moon is moving over the sun, hard to say. Mm -hmm. But we know that eclipses are great releasers of energy. And so here in the Eight of Cups, we're being invited to start this process of letting go in order to free us for what's to come. And again, if you just look really literally about like what we've been through collectively, once that new vision came in, that new vision of how we were going to have to live our lives, there was a lot of letting go. Which then takes us to the Five of Cups, which is our experience of the grief of letting go. So when we're in the Five of Cups, and this is kind of the the last chapter of that first part of the story here. Mm -hmm. We are looking at a figure, and for the first time, we can glimpse the face. There's some vulnerability here, even though the figure is in that, you know, really well-known black shroud. And we're at the river. We're on the other side of the river. We've made some sort of transition here, and we're looking back at what we've lost what we've left behind, what can no longer be reclaimed. In some ways, it's that moment in the journey when you realize, like, there's no going home anymore. We can never get back to the before times because things have changed irreparably. And that's sad, but that's also how progress happens, you know? And so the Five of Cups is this really profound gate card that takes us into this experience of loss, but also befriending loss, befriending melancholy as an understanding of what it is to be alive. It takes us into the heart. It completes these two cards of cups that, that's in the heart. And it takes us into that second line then, which is perhaps the death line here, where we're going to start to kill some stuff off. So we move to the Eight of Swords. In the Eight of Swords, now we can see this figure straight on, except that the figure is blindfolded and bound. And in some ways, this figure is surrounded by swords, feet in the water at what looks like low tide. And the Eight of Swords, as we understand it, 
is an awareness of our own mental limitations. So we've moved from cups into swords, and yet the water's still here. You know, these two swords cards, the eight and the six, there is water present. So we're now kind of blending the emotion and the intellect. And so the grief, the invitation into really feeling the depths of our despair in the five of cups helps us perhaps to understand where we were stuck in the past. Right. You know, the Eight of Swords is an opportunity to transcend, to unbind yourself, to take off the blindfold, to begin to see clearly what you were just kind of following by rote. And again, very much an experience I think a lot of us had in like the early mid days of COVID, where we started to wake up to all of the things that we had just accepted. Like, well, you know, systemic racism, this is just, you know, just a thing we have to deal with. It's like, no, actually. Let's talk about it. Let's see it. Let's liberate ourselves from it. Capitalism, the commodification of everything, wealth inequality. I mean, this is very eight of sorts. These things that we've accepted with the blindfold on, and then all of a sudden we go like, well, wait a second. Maybe there's another way. Maybe I can get outside of this. This is the journey of how vision becomes reality. You see perhaps where even the vision itself was influenced by factors that you were not aware of conditioning, programming, unconscious bias. Yeah, it's so interesting with this blindfold. It's like they're being forced into like their thoughts, into thinking, you know, to yeah. just being alone with it. Which then takes us to the turning point of this whole journey, which is the Six of Swords, right? No matter which way you go, the Six of Swords is right at the middle. Because if it's nine cards, you're going to have four on one side, four on the other, and then the Six of Swords right at the middle. And the Six of Swords is one of those cards in the tarot that is just like so evocative. It's the card that's got the boatman standing, and then a shrouded figure next to a much smaller kind of shrouded figure, and they're in this boat, and they're going somewhere, and they've got the Six Swords standing up at the front of the boat. And you're just like, where, where are we? Where are we going? And I think it's important to acknowledge that the boatman is holding this like really long wand that he uses to row the boat like a gondolier would in Venice, right? And so it's like we're calling back one of the wands from that three of wands that started this whole process in the first place. So we've got the water, and we've got the wand, and we've got the swords. It's right at the middle of the journey here. So where are they going? I don't fucking know. Where have they come from? I don't fucking know. But what I do know is that this is the transition point. This is where we are now further from where we've been and closer to where we're going. Even if it's just by a hair, you know? In some ways, this is kind of like we're just past the point of no return. Mm -hmm. Which is sometimes the hardest place to be. But at the same time, it's also the easiest place to be because you now have momentum at your back. And so we're beginning to see things in a new way here. Or beginning to experience the expanse that we had as a solitary figure in the Three of Wands, we're now in the expanse, and we're with other people. This is the first card where we're not alone. Yeah, it feels very keep it moving, too, because, I mean, you got swords literally, like, stabbed into your boat. Like, it would behoove you to get to shore. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe it's leaking. Who knows? Or they're stopped up by the swords, but... Regardless. And the Six of Swords is always a signification of like a new way of thinking about things, right? So at the middle of this whole journey is a new way of thinking about things. That if you're going to embark on a vision, it's going to change you. Yeah. And at the middle is when it changes you. 
Which then leads us to the last card of this like second chapter, which is the Ten of Pentacles. So now we're moving into the last four cards of this, which are all pentacles. And the Ten of Pentacles is a card of abundance. And what we see in the card is basically like a whole party. It's like we're looking through like an archway at a courtyard and there's dogs and there's a couple and there's children and there's like a mystical old man in a coat. And we've got the 10 pentacles in the shape of the tree of life. And it's suggesting that there's something really beautiful and rich waiting for us on the other side. And I really love if we just look at those three cards in a row the Eight of Swords, the Six of Swords, and the Ten of Pentacles. It's like you're leaving your limitations behind and you're starting to understand what it would what it would feel like to move into abundance. Yeah. And tens always give us like even more than what we want. So it's like opening ourselves up to, as like Oprah always says, right? This is like one of my favorite quotes, like dream a bigger dream for yourself because the goddess is dreaming for you a bigger dream than you can even imagine. It's like, gotta keep pushing it. Gotta keep expanding. Like even what you think is abundance isn't quite abundance yet. There's more there. And I think the death that we're still experiencing here in the second line is the death of what you thought abundance was. Because the other interpretation of the 10 of pentacles, like when you use it as a gate card, when you like take yourself into this scene, I think would be an experience of gratitude and joy, just being in there, celebrating connection, you know? What's also interesting to me, though, is that in both the third card, so the end of that first line, and then now the sixth card, the end of that second line, there is imagery that evokes the tower. In the distance on that five of cups, there's a tower there, you know, right above the two people who are having themselves a little gossip key. There's a tower kind of nearer. Um, and I know the tower can, for a lot of people, evoke challenge, destruction, you know, heavy transformation. But I also really like the idea of like the tower as breakthrough. For sure. You know, so it feels like really poignant to me that like at the end of each line, there's also like some sort of breakthrough, right? Yeah, and also, like, don't get stuck here. Right. There's, like, breakthrough on the horizon. Yeah. So it's also saying, like, you can't stay here. It's like the chariot in the Major Arcana, right? Like, the chariot's great, but there's 14 more cards to go through. Like, don't stop there. Don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck in the Ten of Pentacles. And it is interesting that we're now going from the Ten to the Ace. These last four cards are taking us on an expedited pathway through Pentacles, which is all about manifestation and being here in a good way. So we move into the Six of Pentacles, which is a very curious card. It shows a figure with two other figures who are kneeling on either side. They kind of look like beggars to some degree. And this figure is garbed in a rather like rich red robe and a headpiece and is doling out these pentacles or these coins to one of the beggars with open hands. And in the other hand, this figure is holding a scale. So it's like they're measuring out exactly how much to give. Like there's a generosity present, but it's not without boundaries. Right. It's one of those cards. It's actually got a tower in the background too. Now that you pointed that out, babes, do you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another tower here. So it's a card that suggests generosity, but a measured generosity. Like not giving more than somebody can receive. And that doesn't always mean financially. It means like don't give out more wisdom than somebody can integrate. Don't teach beyond where somebody is. There's a sense that like from the Ten of Pentacles, we have to begin to understand what is actually valuable. 
It's also a separation card. And this is another uh, show we could possibly do about there's a handful of separation cards where it really looks like these are players on a stage in front of a proscenium. And it suggests that there's like an objectivity. There's a necessary almost like pulling out from your life, observing yourself as if you were in the audience that would benefit you at this time. And I think that's really interesting that this card, as the first card of that last line, this rebirth line, is asking you to take a step back and make sure that you're understanding your journey so far so that you don't just like repeat where you've been. But interesting that I think we all assume we're the figure in the middle, and maybe we're one of the beggars on the side, you know? Right. Maybe we're learning how to receive as well, learning how to trust that we, you know, can always get what we need here. Mm-hmm. Because next we're going to move through the Five of Pentacles, which is nobody's favorite portal, but an important portal nonetheless. And perhaps we are one of the beggars in the Six of Pentacles, because here in the Five of Pentacles, there's just two rather miserable people who are outside of a church's stained glass window, and yeah. it's snowing. They look disheveled. They look haggard. They've been through it. Yeah. And the Five of Pentacles is where we... I think, understand the limitations of the physical world, where we understand that, I was going to say that money can't buy you class, honestly, that like having coins doesn't necessarily mean you're any closer to some great awareness or awakening. And it really, to me, when I see the five of pentacles, and when I put myself into this scene, it's like there they are so close to the house of God, in parentheses, and yet they seem godless. You know, they seem like totally abandoned and without connection to faith. Yeah, I was going to say this evokes like an idea of questioning faith to me. It's like, do I stay out in the cold or do I go into that house of God, in quotes, like you said, and will that even help given my physical circumstances, the coins, right? The discs. And I think what's happening from the 10 to the ace is like a refining is an understanding of what is actually valuable. That you only need one good seed and you can grow crops for the rest of your life. And that we're not in control entirely. The Five of Pentacles to me is a card that says like, you're not in control. You got to surrender. You got to find faith and ask to be led. And so far in this journey, you know, we've called in the vision. We've been moving forwards in a way that is willful. And not negative willful, but at a certain point we realize like, okay, the last, the last part of the journey might be where I just like got to hold my arms out and say like, take me where I'm supposed to go, you know? Yeah, this feels very like dark night of the soul if you're looking at like the traditional hero's journey, right? Yeah. It's that point in the movie where, yeah, there's nothing left. And then the Ace of Pentacles. A hand comes out from the sky. Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, exactly. And the Ace of Pentacles is this beautiful kind of like walled garden. It's a, it's a safe place. It's an enclosure. And it could even be like the Garden of Eden. Like, how do we get back to redemption? How do we get back to purity? How do we, not like in a religious way, but in like, how do we get back to coming home? The Three of Wands is so isolated. At the top of the cliff's edge looking out. And the Ace of Pentacles kind of welcomes us in. Mm -hmm. and says, this is your home now, before maybe you start all over again. And then, of course, like I said, you can take it in the opposite direction. You can start here in the walled garden, and you can work to get yourself free 
climb yourself to the highest vista. So that would kind of explore the journey of calling in a, a spiritual awakening. Yeah, well, you start pretty broken if you take it the other direction. Yeah, well, you start from the ace card. to the five. Yeah, you're just like, dang, girl, it's cold. I didn't wear my shoes. Got to beg somebody for money. But then you get to a party. So the thing is, yeah, exactly. People to help you on your way. Mm-hmm. People to send you off across the across the river or the ocean. So these cards, they're so evocative. And of course, most of the cards in the tarot, if not all of them, are evocative. But when you really meditate on these cards, they have these scenes that bring up a lot of questions. They take us into an experience of the tarot as an intersection of potential dimensions. You know, like when you hold those 78 cards in your hand, you're holding at least 78 dimensions, if not more. And so this takes us into some of those alternate realms of experience through the gate. So how can people utilize these gate cards a little more specifically? Or can they also just pull these out and kind of do a gate reading? Yeah, you could pull these out and do a gate reading in the same way that you would just maybe do like a reading with the majors or a reading with the court cards. But I think if you want to explore the tarot beyond just using it to give readings, you might take one of these cards that really compel you, one of these nine cards, and you might really like look at it, like learn the image well, and then take yourself into the card and just start to look around beyond like what you can just see in the card, you know? Mm-hmm. And you might even like have a conversation with one of the figures and ask, you know, what's going on here? I mean, that's why they're gates, you know, is, is that the, the image transports us somewhere and we can learn the card more deeply through our experience of it, as opposed to just, like I said earlier, regurgitating some meaning that has traveled through time mm -hmm. and been kind of crystallized and codified. It's like, no, 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 like the cards are alive. And you can step into them and you can learn them in a much deeper, more profound and rather personal way, you know? So I hope that gave you a little something, you know? And I would be curious, you know, if you wanted to share with us photos of cards from mm. other decks yeah. that you feel like are a gate. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Just like, yeah, what cards like really capture you? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And they may not be cards that you necessarily like. You know what I mean? Like, people don't necessarily like the Five of Cups, but you can't deny its power. You can't deny that it's a portal. It's trying to suck you in and take you somewhere. It's so compelling. You know, that image, that cloaked figure. Yeah. It's just so powerful and rich. And would they always be from the miners? I think so. I think they would be miners that are not court cards. Because those in and of themselves, like, court cards are gates in a way. You know, they're saying, like, be this figure, you know, embody this figure, put this figure on. And the majors, I mean, they're all gates. Right. You know, yeah. and yeah, all yeah. of the cards are gates, all of the minors are gates. But especially these, for whatever reason, these nine, they feel more alive. They feel like a place you're supposed to put yourself in. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, have fun journeying through these gate cards, everyone. And yeah, let us know if you have any that jump out at you or if you have any revelations of your own um, around these specific nine gate cards. And so lastly, I feel like we should just pull a card for everybody. I mean, 
So just take a moment, connect to the cards by listening into the sound of them being shuffled. And just let your heart open up to receive precisely the message that you need at this moment in your life, no matter the future place or time to which you are listening to this program. So the card that would help us most at this moment in our lives is the sun reversed, which Leo is perfect season. for Leo season. <laughs> I know. Right. So better why reverse? Well, cause the sun is shining and we can't feel it. You know, that, that there's a little bit of work required. Like you were saying earlier on in your check-in, like how do we open ourselves up to receive the good? The way plants, you know, they literally bind the light or the way those cute little birds like have to like lift up their head and open their mouth and like let mom feed them, you know? Mom can be there with the food, but if the birds don't open their mouth, they're not getting fed. So there's something about the sun reverse that's like, how are you actively participating in letting the light in? Mm. How are you actively participating in receiving what is good, what is joyful, what is pure, what is true in your life. And the sun is one of those cards. It's like very simple. It's not complex. It's not intellectual. It's a child on a horse in the sun. Just joy. Just joy, you know? So how are you fighting for joy? I'll be honest. You just like personally, like it is hard to find joy in the current climate of the world right now. It's hard. For sure. And joy is important. And so I would say that joy seeking as an intention for your life over these next couple weeks is meaningful, is valuable so that we can remember what we're fighting for. You know, why are we fighting to, to live on this planet? Hopefully not just for the grind, hopefully because there's things that, that bring us joy. The other interpre interpretation I would also just offer is that the sun reverse would just say like, you might be learning a new way of understanding your sun sign. You might be learning a new way of interpreting what the sun is and what it means. You know, you're shining upside down in some, some respects. So you might think you know what it means to have an airy sun or an Aquarius sun, but this season will show you that it means something else too. Because a reversal can sometimes invert what we think we know about an energy, a card. And in this instance, the planet, the sun, and its, and its signature, you know? Like you think you know what the signature of your Taurus sun is, but it's actually something else. It's changed. It's evolved. Mm, yeah, possibly. Let yourself yeah. receive that. Yeah. Yeah, but I would definitely stress like challenging yourself to see the joy and the beauty that is around you because you may have to push yourself to recognize what's already there. Yeah, you're going to have to fight for the optimism, but that doesn't mean the optimism isn't there. I mean, the sun is one of those cards that it's so joyful. It's so profoundly buoyant that even upside down, it's not saying it's not there. It's just saying you are reverse to receiving it. Exactly. Because maybe it makes you feel vulnerable, you know? Look, I get it. Sometimes it's easier just to like sit in my cold ice palace than like let the sun in. Because if the sun comes in, it's going to melt everything and there's going to be a river of tears. No. Oh. Well, time to let the sun in. But then I can like put on a bathing suit and like get in like an inner tube and I can float down the lazy river of tears. And that'd be Cute. a lot of fun. That's nice. So, all right, kitty cats. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting us chat about ourselves. <laughs> all things. Um, yeah, you can always find out everything we have going on at our website, thespiritualgaze.com. 
www.thisisfunnyshow.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there, which gets you uh, two monthly newsletters around the new and the full moon. And you can also find us at Instagram, The Spiritual Gaze, Facebook, Spiritual Gaze, Twitter, Spiritual Gaze. We're out and about there in those social streets. Until next time, this has been your transit through The Spiritual Gaze.